Well, good morning. Hope that you've had a wonderful spring weekend so far. We have had a very packed weekend, mostly because yesterday we went to this. Uh, this is what is called the Torrance Unified School District First Annual Mathematics Field Day. I think it was first annual, which is, since you should be unfamiliar because it's I think it's the first annual, a whole day dedicated to sending your fifth grader or your fourth grader to have the opportunity to take one whole beautiful spring weekend free day sequestered in a room with other fourth and fifth graders to take math tests. That's all you do all day. That's essentially what it is. Earlier in the year, they asked the fifth grade parents, do you want your child to take a math test? And if you do, and he passes said math test, he will have the privilege of spending the next 10 weeks in order to take more math tests once a day every afternoon so that at the end of those 10 weeks of taking test after test after test, he or she then, on March 30th, yesterday, can be brought to this central location to gather with a whole group of other math test takers to spend this day taking more tests. <laughs> of course, tiger parents that we are said, sure, sign our son up for it. <laughs> because we're competitive people. We as parents, we love to see, oh, how's our son stack up with other people? Uh, we aren't a terribly athletic lot, so math it's got to be. <laughs> You know, that's where we go. We're all like this, are we not? So much so, you know, if you're out of school, most of us are out of school. There's, I, I realize there's some people here that are still in school, but for most of us, we're out of school, we're working, or we're, we're staying at home, we're retired. Uh, that routine of test after test after papers or assignments, and you get graded for these things, those are all behind us. But still... Even though they're behind us, we still find ourselves drawn, for some, some reason, back to taking tests. You know, Facebook asks you, hey, click through to see whether or not you really know your 1980s trivia. We click through. <laughs> Our friend signs us up for a 5K or a 10K or a marathon. And uh, we go and do it. But we have a certain time that we want to beat, or we want to beat that person who signed us up um, in so many ways, right? <laughs> Or just we want to survive without dying. That's a, that's a benchmark, right? Even by ourselves, we test ourselves to see if we can still uh, open that pickle jar or uh, touch our toes still. I never was able to do that, still can't do it. But, uh, you know, these are, these are benchmarks that we have because we love to know where we stand, who we are, how we're doing, how we're growing, perhaps, or if you're, like I say, on the backside of life like me, how we're, how we're aging. How are we doing at that aging? We're test takers. All of us test takers. And today, Jesus turns to a crowd of people that are following him. And he tests them through one of the most famous parables in the scriptures, the parable of the soils. And through this test, Jesus challenges our faith, tests our faith, through a rather sh uh, shocking and uncomfortable confrontation. 
So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn there with me. It's a rather long passage, uh, but we're going to take it in little chunks. So you can really, really follow along this morning because it's a long, long passage. The entirety is Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. But again, we're just looking at little snapshots, a little bit at a time. Uh, So Mark begins, and we're going to begin with Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Mark begins, and he says this. He says this. He, and uh, by he, he means this is Jesus. Jesus began to teach again by the sea. And such a very large crowd gathered to him that he got into a boat in the sea and sat down. And the whole crowd was by the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And was saying to them in his teaching... Listen to this. Behold, the sower went out to sow. As he was sowing, some seed fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it didn't have much soil, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. And after the sun had risen, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it. It yielded no crop. Other seeds fell into the good soil. And as they grew up and increased, they yielded a crop and produced 30, 60, and 100-fold. And he was saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Okay, that's our parable. That's the parable of the soils, very familiar. But before we dive into the parable proper, let's get a good look at the context of this chapter. And it's going to explain how Jesus comes to tell this parable in its context. And the context is simply this. It's, it's, it's in Mark's gospel, and it's just in chapter 4. It's rather the beginning of this whole biography that Mark is telling of who Jesus is. And we notice that Mark is not like Matthew. Mark is not like Luke, if you look at your Bibles there, in that Mark spends very, very little time on the backstory of who Jesus is. No birth account, there's no Mary, there's no Joseph, there's no, there's no uh, uh, wise men. We find basically only a couple of things happening in the context up until this point in the book of Mark. First, we find Jesus doing a lot of miracles, just a whole bunch of miracles, a raft of miracles to confirm that he's the Messiah. That's the first theme. In the first few chapters of the book of Mark, Jesus Jesus heals the sick, uh, he casts out demons, he makes a paralytic walk, uh, he cures leprosy, he takes his man with a, a shriveled up hand, and he makes him whole again. So Jesus is doing a bunch of miracles. That dominates the early chapters and the early ministry of Jesus. The second theme just follows the first theme. It's that people are flocking to Jesus, They love the spectacle of these miracles. So they want to see Jesus. They want to be near Jesus. It says in chapter 1, verse 37, people are looking for Jesus. In the early verses of chapter 2, Mark records that people gather when they know that Jesus is around. So much so that there's this gathering of people who want to reach Jesus and they can't get to him. Some of the text reports in, in Mark chapter 1, verse 37, they actually have to punch a hole through a roof in order to get to Jesus. If you remember that whole thing about the paralytic, they have to lower him through the hole in the roof. And so as the following behind Jesus increases, Mark begins to use this term, well, a couple of terms, multitude and crowd, to describe the horde that is just gathering around Jesus. Chapter 2, verse 13, a large crowd came to him. Chapter 3, verse 7, a great multitude from Galilee. Chapter 3, verse 20, and the crowd gathered again. 
And then, finally, in our passage this morning, chapter 4, verse 1, such a large crowd gathered. That's the context. Lots of miracles draws a multitude of people. And now Jesus turns, and the first time in the book of Mark, instead of answering questions, instead of doing a miracle, Jesus has uh, long-form teaching. He's, he's actually teaching, uh, giving kind of a sermon in the whole book of Mark. This is the first instance. And Mark is careful to tell us the setting of this parable, or of this episode, that he, uh, this first episode of teaching. Jesus is by the sea. Again, it's noted, this crowd gathers, and the crowd is so large that Jesus is pressed upon, and the situation is not ideal. So the solution is that Jesus gets into a boat and teaches from the boat, while Mark makes it a point to tell us that the crowd is by the sea, but on the land. Jesus is offshore, the crowd is on the land. Note this because uh, it's, it's a little detail that's going to come up later. Then Jesus begins his parable, which is pretty straightforward. He starts and he says, listen to this, listen to this. And he goes on to tell about this scenario, which many of us may be familiar with. It's the parable of the soils. It's well known. One sower, four different conditions for the seed that the sower sows into, if you would even call it sowing, because the first instance, this first place that the seed is sown is not even intentional. The sower, as he's sowing, as some of the seed fall beside the road, not on the soil, birds come, eat that seed up, that's the end of that first seed. Second situation, the seed falls on the rocky ground. Again, not a great sowing situation, not much soil, so the seed kind of sits on top, grows a little bit, the text says that it springs up, but because it's kind of on top, sun comes up, and what does grow withers and dies. Third growing situation, the seed falls among the thorns. It grows, the thorns choke it out, and that is the end of that seed. So, three very poor, very bad growing conditions for this seed, and the end is that they don't produce. But then, of course, this is the last soil. The seed falls on good soil, and the proof of that situation is that the seed grows up, it produces a crop, 30, 60 a hundredfold, Jesus says. And Jesus then bookends this parable. He begins by saying, listen to this, and then he ends by saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. That's our first snapshot. Just the parable of the soils, verses 1 through 9. But then we see the postscript. That's what we're going to call it here. A postscript to the parable. This is verses 10 through 12. Mark tells us that later, after the boat... After the sermon, Jesus is with his disciples, and he adds this little ending postscript. Turn back with me if you've got your Bibles. Mark chapter 4, and this is just 10 through 12. Mark says, as soon as he was alone, and again, this is Jesus, as soon as Jesus was alone, his followers, along with the 12, began asking him about the parables. And he was saying to them, to you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God. But those who are outside get everything in parables, so that while seeing they may see and not perceive, and while hearing they may hear and not understand. Otherwise, they might return and be forgiven. So this is the disciples, they're reflecting on the teaching that Jesus has been giving earlier in the day. Not just the 12 disciples of Jesus, but the text seems to make a distinction that serious followers have now separated themselves from those multitudes that we were talking about. 
And now they have this private audience with Jesus. The text says as Jesus was alone, his followers, along with the twelve, began asking about the parables. So they're asking about the parables, and Jesus answers that the parables serve this certain purpose. He paints a picture of two groups of people now. The true followers who now have withdrawn with Jesus, who really want to know what all this is all about. They want to know what Jesus is saying. They're begin, they, they're, they are now being given the mysteries of the kingdom of God. And then there are those who are described as those who are on the outside, who haven't chosen to want more, to want to know more. They are not curious as to what the parables and Jesus' teaching is all about. We talked about the multitude. We talked about these crowds. This is precisely the situation that Jesus is addressing, that multitude was largely following Jesus in order to see the spectacle. They, they were hangers-on. They got wowed by all the healings, and they wanted to tag along and be involved in the excitement of being where all the rest of the people were. It was an exciting place to be around Jesus. And Jesus is saying that he uses the parables to make a distinction. The parables are mysterious, but if you really listen, you can learn the mysteries of the kingdom. The things that were not revealed before are now revealed to you. But if you are not concerned, if you're just there for the spectacle, for the friends, for the experience, for the healings, then the parables, they wind up to be nice stories. It's too complicated to pay attention to, though. Too much work to figure out. Oh, Jesus is being just so cryptic. The parables separate the true followers from the multitude. Jesus says that the parables address the crowd so that while seeing, they may see and not perceive and while hearing, they may hear and not understand, otherwise they might return and be forgiven. This is a direct quote from the Old Testament, the hard-heartedness of Israel from the book of Isaiah. But Jesus applies it to the crowd, that although Jesus is right there, God in human flesh, right in front of them, doing these, these miracles, that there are going to still be a lot of people, a lot of people who aren't there for Jesus at all. They're there for the show, not for the Savior. They're there for the show, not for the Savior. And the parables are a tool that ensures that those who are interested, they continue to dig deeper, but those who are not, they choose to turn away. So, we had the parable itself, the postscript to the parable, the explanation of why teach this way is all, and then Jesus proceeds to kind of parse the parable, to explain the parable of the soils. Turn back with me to Mark chapter 4. Now, now we're all the way in verse, verse 13. And uh, Jesus is going to explain the whole parable to us. And he says this. And he, again, this is Jesus, said to them, do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. These are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown. And when they hear, immediately... Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. In a similar way, these are the ones on whom seed was sown on the rocky places who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no firm root in themselves but are only temporary. Then when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones on whom seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word, but the worries of the world 
and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And those are the ones on whom seed was sown on the good soil. And they hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, 30, 60, and 100-fold. So here, we don't even have to interpret the parable since Jesus does this for us. Uh, He tells us exactly what each sowing situation represents. First, Jesus, of course, tells us what's being sown. What's being sown is God's Word into into the hearts of people. The sower sows the Word. And then in the first instance, God's words are sown into people, but then there's zero response. Because Jesus says Satan takes that word away. The word just bounces off of these people. It goes one in, in where, one ear and out the other. The second scenario, the rocky places, there's some response in these people, an immediate reaction of joy from them. But then there's not a lot of depth. The initial reaction is proven to be inadequate because when circumstances arise, Jesus uh, says, when affliction or persecution arises, these people they go their own way. They fall away. They show themselves to, as, as not having had any depth in the first place. The third situation are those who hear and, like the second soil, there's a reaction. But this reaction is choked out, as Jesus says in these people. Choked out by the worries that they have, the worries of the world, the deceitfulness of riches tempt them away, the desire for other things. So these Three initial reactions to the words of God in people represent how they respond when God speaks His words to them. And the reactions range from a total disregard to a little bit of interest and even a little bit of growth, a little bit of change. But none of these first three kinds of people prove to be true followers of Jesus. Fourth situation. Fourth situation, the fourth soil is the true follower, what Jesus calls the good soil. And what distinguishes the good soil is that these people hear God's words and not only accept them, but there's some evidence. Jesus calls it, actually, a lot of evidence. He calls it a harvest, an abundance of evidence. The illustration is that of a plant when, when it producing whatever they produce, that the produce is 30 or 60, 100-fold. That's flourishing. That's great evidence of obedience because God's words have taken root in the heart of the hearer. They've not just heard the physical sound waves. They've listened with their lives and they're responding. And that's it. That's the parable of the soils. It's a fairly straightforward parable made even more straightforward because it's, it's one of the few parables where Jesus says, oh, you don't get that? Let me explain it for you. But it's also a parable with multiple layers. And this is why we've included this parable in our series so far that we've been going through, this, this series called Uncomfortable, the Shocking Words of Jesus. Because if we only understand this parable on its simplest level, ah, it isn't so uncomfortable or shocking. But if we genuinely listen to what Jesus is saying, the parable of the soils is most uncomfortable and most shocking to our lives. And there are three levels of interpretation that we can bring to this parable that we can understand, all of which are true. All of these levels of interpretation are true, but which get deeper and deeper as we look more closely. The first level we could just call the principal level, the, princi- the principal layer. And at this level, we look at this parable and we can see, oh, Jesus is describing, describing uh, uh, several facts about how things work. We can see that when Jesus teaches, His words are going to go out, 
certain people are not going to respond at all, the, the first soil, and then some other people are going to respond, but the response is, is going to be shallow or weak and not to be genuine. That's the second and the third soils. And then this is the fourth reaction, the good situation, where God's words enter in, they make a difference, the genuine heart that is paying attention to Jesus' words is going to grow. Concrete response, real transformation of life. Oh, we might call this sanctification in the life of, of the believer. That's the principal layer of interpreting this parable. We understand what Jesus is saying. Important, a little incomplete though. That leads us to the next layer of interpretation, what we might call uh, the people layer, the people layer. And this is where we realize in the context that Jesus is speaking, that Jesus isn't just speaking a parable on an academic level. We begin to realize that Jesus is speaking this parable because the circumstance that he is in at the moment requires a parable to separate the true followers of Jesus from the rest of the multitude. Remember the context? If we back up, remember the context? Jesus has been doing a bunch of miracles, has attracted all of these people to him, this multitude of people, but Jesus doesn't desire a multitude. He doesn't desire a crowd which is not interested in knowing who he is or what he's all about. And so this parable that Jesus opens his ministry with is told to help people self-sort. The parable itself, the parable is the word of God. And Jesus is the sower. It's a totally self-referential parable. Jesus is actually doing what the parable is teaching. As Jesus is speaking this parable, Jesus is the sower. And he's sowing the word. And if people aren't interested in the parable, they automatically classify themselves as soil number one. But if they're a little bit interested and they love hearing Jesus, but they don't understand and they don't care to dig any deeper, or if they have better things to do and better things to take care of rather than pay attention to the words of God coming out of the very Messiah's mouth in front of them, they've just self-selected themselves to be soil number two and soil number three. But if they see something in the parable, they see something in Jesus' teaching, so much so that they follow Jesus, maybe they come alongside to hear him a little bit more to explain this, they want to know more, and his word takes root, they prove to be soil number four. That's the people layer, where we begin to realize that the parable itself is happening as Jesus is speaking the parable. It's the, like the most artful piece of language ever. It's amazing. And everything about the details of this parable makes sure that we get it. So many clues. The first, remember, remember the setting Jesus' crowd are all around so much that he's got to get into a boat and teach from the boat. And Mark tells us that the whole crowd was by the sea, on the land. Well, this word land here could be translated from the original language a little bit differently. The word is the exact same word used later in the passage and the parable itself, which would then make the phrase read like this. The whole crowd was by the sea on the soil. This is Mark actually telegraphing to us, telling us, look, what Jesus is teaching in the parable is actually what is happening as he speaks the parable. Jesus from the boat is sowing his word toward the soils. And then another clue, the key variable that makes the good soil the good soil, 
If you were to say, what's the theme of this, this whole parable? It's how people hear the Word of God. It's how they respond. It's how they hear. That's the theme of this parable. True disciples hear. True disciples, it's not just sound waves, they listen. The first three soils hear and they don't respond. They don't respond with depth. The good soil doesn't just hear. The good soil listens to Jesus and responds. And Jesus, again, throws out another clue that what He is doing, He's doing the parable described here because He begins the parable very uniquely by telling people, listen to this. Remember, He opened with listen to this. And then He ends the parable in the same way. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus is saying to this crowd, you're the parable. Be the fourth soil. Jesus is doing what the parable is illustrating right in their midst. That's the people layer of interpreting, interpreting this parable. Second level of interpretation, where we begin to realize that the parable of the soils was this living instrument that Jesus was using in the lives of the multitude so that they would immediately see that Jesus was straining out the spectators and selecting his true disciples by their response to this singly, singular piece of teaching. That's why Jesus asks, and well, he says, well, he asks, he says in verse 13, don't you understand this parable? How will you understand all of the parables? Because this is the parable, which is the master key to all of Jesus' teachings. If you're the fourth soil, you're going to keep on listening to everything that Jesus says and want to know more. If you aren't, the rest of Jesus' teachings, they're no concern to you at all. That's the people layer. Last layer of interpretation is the most important, and that's the personal, the personal layer. And this is the layer where we begin to understand that the parable, the parable of the soils, is not just a test for Jesus' first century audience, seated on the soil as he teaches from the sea. The personal layer realizes that this test of discipleship is designed for us. Right here, right now, Nova Community Church in our own hearts. This is the beauty of the parable. In every place, to every people, in every generation, ever since Jesus threw these words out from the sea to the soil for the very first time. Wherever this parable is read, whenever it is taught, Jesus is sowing the seed one more time. And as we have heard these words this morning, we're the soil. And the seed of Jesus' words have been sown in us as we sit here 2,000 years later. There are some of us who are distracted, but what needs to be done later this week and we're not paying attention to all of these words. There's some who will react to this parable as, oh, that's an interesting piece of teaching or creative. But once they pass those doors later this morning, it'll just end up as another piece of teaching that they've heard. In every gathering, there will be people who are a part of the multitude, the first, the second, the third soils. But to those whom Jesus is central, who hang on Jesus' words and have pledged allegiance to Christ because what He has done for them, the parable of the soils awakens us now and says, God's Word is here to change me. How will I grow? How will I change? How will I produce fruit this week from the Word of God? How will I respond to Jesus' great work of forgiveness and the love and the affection of Christ given through the cross? To the four soils this morning, this word will produce fruit. The parable itself 
will change us. That's why this morning we've included the parable of the swords in this series that we've been teaching on uncomfortable, the shocking words of Jesus. Because of Jesus' words, the parable of the soils may be the most uncomfortable and the most shocking. Because the parable tells us that it requires a response. Once it was read this morning, the test began, and we became, we became the test subjects. The test began, and we became the test subjects. Our very presence in this room obligated us. We became the soils this morning. And Jesus' words should uncomfortably invade our lives. So we ask ourselves, how are we responding to, to all of Jesus' words? Are we responding to the great news of His life and death and resurrection? Is the gospel, is the news of Jesus Christ, or all the blessings of Jesus' person and work, making a true difference in who we are and what we do? That's the third and the final layer of interpretation. It's the personal layer. The layer which is the most important. The layer that must leave with us this morning. And with this interpretation, we can draw a couple of simple applications. Remember it this week. The first is, stop being a spectator. Stop being a spectator. This is the beauty of the parable of the soils. The parable of the soils, if we like it or not, immediately requires engagement from us. We are either the first, second, third, or fourth soils, simply by the fact that the parable has been read in our hearing. But we are only the fourth soil if we listen to the words of Jesus and, again, we are engaged. If we stop looking at Jesus and his words from the outside. And we, <laughs> we do spectate. We do it on Sundays. We do it as we read the Bible during the week. We do it as we sing songs, but we aren't really worshiping. We do it as we critique the sermon instead of reflect on the truths inside the sermon for ourselves. When we sit in our seats and we start thinking, you know, it would have been really good if person A, B, or C were here to hear this and not really think about what it means for myself. We're spectators. Increasingly, we become spectators more and more in everything. Nothing, nothing proves that more than this. This is why you love March. Is this not why you love March? It's all gone behind us now. The madness of spending copious amounts of couch time watching other people who are more talented play sports. And March Madness, it's been a thing. It's been a thing. It's grown to overtake all of our days. Uh, the internet, now that we have access and we have access to all of the games all of the time, goes to work with us, goes home with us. It's, it's always with us. It's kind of natural. We watch sports because it's, it's you know, other people are better at them than I, we are more talented. They're more fun to watch than us actually going out ourselves. But that doesn't account for the fact that now being a spectator has taken on a life of its own. It's just crazy. This is a YouTube video. It's one of the most watched videos on the internet. The title of the video is, it actually says it right there, Play-Doh Ice Cream Cupcakes Playset Play-Doh by Unboxing Surprise Egg. Yes, it's a compelling, compelling title. It's what's called an unboxing video. In unboxing, this is a genre. It's a whole genre of videos where people watch people. They go to the internet to watch other people who simply open products. It's, it's all it is. Someone opens a Play-Doh set, 
take it out of the box and they play with it. This video has been viewed by people 875 million times. It's one hour. It's an hour long <laughs> of a person opening a toy. Think of the man hours wasted. We could have cured cancer by now. We should be on Mars. What could you do with one billion man hours? 875 million views. This is a thing. Instead of actually going out and buying things and shopping and opening things, we watch other people buy something and open it on the internet. It's like the trend of esports. Esports. Is that a thing? It's a thing. People no longer play video games, which our parents, parents used to tell us, oh, that's a waste of time. Well, you want to see a waste of time, man. Our parents don't play video games. The newest thing, simply watching other people play video games. My kids aren't even up, they don't even play video games. They watch other people play video games. All they do is watch. They watch them. It's such a big thing. It's such a big thing. Philadelphia right now is building a stadium. It's an esports arena. Just begin to think of the meta narrative here. Just try and wrap your mind around the meta narrative. It's an esports arena, $50 million, seating thousands of people just to come and watch other people play video games against each other. We're no longer involved in life. We just watch people. We're spectators. Parable of the soils prohibits it. Jesus, he lays this test. Be a disciple, not a spectator. Once the seed of the word is sown, it demands interaction, demands response. It demands growth. And that leads us to our final application, that is, let it grow. Let it grow. Let the seed of the word, word of God grow in us so that it produces 30, 60, 100-fold. Let it produce love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and, and faithfulness and self-control. That this morning and every time we encounter the word of God, never treating it as an academic experience but as an opportunity for the news of Jesus where the truth of God's wisdom or his character or the forgiveness or goodness or provision of God to challenge us. Never, though, to let it get into a habit of reading for the sake of reading or studying for the sake of just knowing. I shared this with um, the mentoring Nova class a couple of weeks ago that the first person who was kind of a spiritual mentor to me, the first time we met, studied the Bible, we prayed together, we did a little bit of talking, and then at the very end, just kind of as a aside, he, he asked me this one question. That's the question. What has God been teaching you this week? What has God been teaching you this week? I thought really hard about that question. It, 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 it kind of hit me by surprise. It was a question that made me think not only of the Bible passage that I had read the, that week, but uh, uh, perhaps the, some of the word that God had called to my mind or, or some of the Sunday messages that I had heard. And I had to think, how did that apply to me? What, what, it, what was God teaching me and saying and doing in my life? This is quite a mental exercise. And the next week, I, I met with my mentor again, and we did Bible study, we prayed, and we talked a little bit. And by golly, he asked me that question again. What has God been teaching you this week? And uh, led to even more 
mental and spiritual gymnastics in my mind, recalling the week before all the Bible that I'd read and the sermons that I had heard. And I learned week after week, this was going to be a thing. He was going to keep on asking me this question every single week, so much so that I'd be walking to our meetings together and I'd be dreading the fact that he's going to ask me this and I have not really thought about this and I haven't paid attention to the Bible reading that I've been reading this week. I have not, I, the sermon, what was the sermon on again this week? Oh, I didn't even remember what the sermon, it went in one ear and out the other ear. So I'd be, uh, truth be told, creating some kind of fictional spiritual truth that I could share that week with him. Oh, God's goodness. Oh, yeah, provision, his wisdom. That's what he's teaching me. Uh, but after a while, I thought, you know, I should wise up. I should take a few minutes every week before I meet with my mentor and actually ask myself that question. What has God been teaching me? What did he want me to change in my life? How is I going to start reacting to his word in response to God's guidance? And, uh, yeah, I thought, I foiled him. <laughs> I've come up with this discipline. I finally, I've done it. I have an answer now every single week. But that was the point of him asking, obviously, to wake me up, get me thinking of how to respond to what God was doing and instructing my life in, how he's leading me every week. And that's the purpose of the test of the soils, not to tell us a nice story, or to explain somehow that God's Word is only 25% efficacious. That's certainly not it, right? It's to have us realize that we cannot walk away unaffected. Today, any day, from the sower sowing the seed of the Word in our hearts. And the truth is, it's even more impactful knowing that Jesus is described by the Scriptures as the Word become flesh challenging us to be changed by Christ himself, Christ's life in us and spoken to us, do we pass the test? Are we true followers of Jesus? Are we the fourth soil? Time will tell, but the initial results begin here. Are we letting God's word grow in us today, right now, to bear harvest through our lives? 30 60, 100-fold, as we go from here. Those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Let's pray.